so tonight's speaker, Karen Reynolds. Um, I have like this great introduction for Karen. I kind of talked about her. Did anyone else just see that happen? I kind of talked about her a little bit last week, but um, Karen and I used to uh, serve together at a parish in Ventura, California called Our Lady of the Assumption. So Karen and I had lunch today, and uh, we talked about a couple of old memories and things like that. And I will just say that Karen has probably one of the most um, servant-oriented hearts and is convicted, and I don't mean just like in a little way like we hear in the Beatitudes, but she is convicted to poverty of spirit. And I just want to share a quick little story. So, about an hour ago, true story, I was sitting right over there and I was working on a slideshow and uh, kind of fine-tuning the guitar and the audio, and I get a phone call from Karen, and she rented a car, a rental car from Enterprise. And I get a phone call, and it, it, I could tell something was wrong, and Karen goes, Patrick, I'm so sorry. And I'm thinking, what happened? And she goes, I was in an accident. I'm in an accident right now. It's bad. So, like, you hear someone, like, the shaky voice telling you something like that on the phone that you know is so committed to anything. Like, I, we were on a mission trip in Nicaragua, and I remember coming off of the bus after going down this windy canyon, and all of us had gotten sick and had the stomach flu. And Karen, I knew, had it, because the whole time when we were playing this, like, guessing game, her head was down like this, and then she'd go, Hawaii. Uh, New Jersey. She was just like calling things out. This is my daughter Lola, by the way. But this very stomach flu had taken me the day before, and I was the first one to fall prey to it. And I sat there in the bed all day throwing up. And Karen clearly had this, the whole bus ride home, but she's leading the mission trip with all these teens. And what does Karen do? She gets off the bus... She walks probably about 20 yards behind the building. I hear her call some dinosaurs. And then she turns around and walks back in and is like, all right, let's go. We've got to get ready for dinner. Let's go. Come on. Everybody wash up. And I remember just thinking to myself, this is a level of ministry and service that is way beyond me, like what she just did. So Karen, I, uh, I raced to where she is on Chase Avenue in Avocado. If you were driving here and you saw the accident, that was us. That was her. And uh, Karen pretty much just totaled the Jeep uh, that she rented and hit her head pretty hard. So after this talk, we're going to the hospital. Um, but this is the coolest part of the story. The officer and the ENT were like, we really suggest you should go to the hospital. You hit your head kind of hard. We really think you should go. You should go. And Karen's like, well, I mean, what's going to happen? Like, how long is it going to, you know, how much time do I got to live, basically? You know? And the guy's like, well, I mean, an hour or two, things are going to get... You know, if something's wrong with your head, it's going to start to really show, and you're going to get dizzy and nauseous. And she looks at me, <laughs> serious as a heart attack, looks at me and goes, what time am I speaking? And I said, probably around 8 o'clock or 7 o'clock, and she goes, okay, I can do it. Okay, no, I'm not going to go. I'm fine. I'll be okay. So after this, we'll be going to the hospital. But let's give it up for Karen Reynolds. You're super kind. <laughs> Those guys were a little confused at why I didn't want to go to the hospital. I was like, i got to give this talk. And uh, he's like, I really think you should go to the hospital. I was like, is my nose broken? I don't, I, it hurts a little. He goes, no, I don't think it's broken. I said, I think I'll be fine. I was like, what kind of drugs should I take? I said, do I take ibuprofen? He goes, no. The, he, he goes, take Tylenol. Thanks. 
I was like, okay, I'll just take some Tylenol. And then I go, he grabs my license. He goes, are you from around here? I said, no, it's an Ohio driver's license. He goes, oh, that's why you want to give the talk. <laughs> he goes, how long are you here? I said, oh, less than 24 hours. Um, let's just start with a quick prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. God, thank you so much for uh, your love for us. Thank you for uh, humiliation. Um, thank you for this time. Come and open up our hearts, Jesus, to receive what it is you want to give us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. I've been praying for you guys a lot. I've been praying about this talk a lot. And I want to tell you two things that I, two quick stories, two things that I prayed before uh, I got here. Actually, tonight I did pray for humility. <laughs> and I was just thinking about that. I was like, oh, I just prayed like, Lord, just keep me humble. Keep me humble, you know. And then I wrecked this rental car. So that's good humiliation. So thank God nobody was really hurt. But I had this experience on the plane when I left. I came a couple days early so I could spend some time up in Ventura with some friends. And um, I went to Mass the morning before I left on Thursday. And I prayed Lord, uh, when I get on the plane, give me some divine appointments. I usually don't pray that because I usually just want to be alone on planes because I fly a lot and stuff. So I was like, God, give me some divine appointments. So I sit down on the plane, and it was Southwest. You get to choose who you sit by, right? So um, I see this young African-American girl, and I'm like, oh, she looks kind of cool. I'm going to sit, you know, I sit on the aisle. I'm going to sit close to her. So I sit down, and I find out she really is um, from Africa. (laughs) She's African-American. She moved to the United States, and she's a pharmacist, and she's coming out here because she wants to do um, learn community uh, pharmacy, so she wants to go back to uh, Liberia and open up clinics. And I was like, this is awesome. This is my divine appointment. I work with inner city kids. She can talk to these girls. It was great. We're having this great conversation. This guy comes up. You know how when you're on Southwest, you always put stuff on the middle seat so nobody will sit there? If you don't, that's what we do. So he goes, is that seat taken? And we're like, no. And so I'm like, oh, he's going to sit down. He turns to the girl behind him and he says to her, um, hey, why don't you take that seat? So the girl sits down and she looks total LA. She's got leg warmers up to her knees, you know, and just super stylish and everything. And so we all start talking and everything. And I turn to her and I go, so what do you do? She goes, I'm a stripper. And I was like, okay, this is my divine appointment, Lord, you know? And all I could think about was like, I'm in so far over my head because anybody who admits they're a stripper on an airplane is really serious about their job and loves being a stripper, you know? So this was the beginning of my trip. It actually ended up being a really awesome conversation. I mean, I swear, I texted right away. I'm texting my friend. I'm like, you got to pray for me. I'm sitting next to a stripper, you know? (laughs) I mean, I was like, what? I was like, I mean, I've evangelized a lot of people over the years, but nobody ever just says to me, I'm a stripper, right? She could have said I'm a dancer, right? But I found it even more. She was not only a stripper, she was a voodoo priestess and... Um, yeah, and so we, um, God was so good because we ended up having this amazing conversation and then slept and then had another amazing conversation and then slept. It was a five and a half hour flight. It was direct. And then um, finally I knew, because I got to share with her my whole story about knowing Jesus in my life. And I got to like, there was like this divine appointment where she was talking about what she was looking for in life. And I said, that, what you're looking for is love. 
you know, and Jesus is the greatest lover, so I had this great opportunity. So I knew I had to ask her the question. You know, I talked to her a little bit about, you know, the feminine genius. Like, I'm not an expert on that, okay? I don't know as much as you think. But um, just talking to her about a little bit of the beauty of being a woman. So I had to ask her the question, you know, how being a stripper and the dignity of women and the dignity of the human person and so... You know, we're down to like the last 30 minutes and I'm like, you got to do it. You got to do it. You know, so I turned to her and I feel like I've earned the right during this whole time to ask her the question. And I said, um, I said, Jasmine, that's her name. So pray for her. Okay. Um, uh, Jasmine, I said, I just have to ask you this question. I'm not judging you. I just want to know, how do you feel like being a stripper, you know, helps you as a woman live the dignity of the person that you were created to be? She goes, that's it. I've been asked a lot of things. That's an easy question, you know? I mean, she took her job as a job. Like, she, she's like, I claim taxes. Like, she runs her own business. That's what she does, you know? So she's a very smart person. And so we had this great conversation, and I just said to her when I left her, and she knows she doesn't want to do it forever. I said this. I said, I want you to know that God loves you. He made you for so much more than what you're doing now. Here's my card. I said, please email me, call me, anything that I could be a part of your life. So that, that's not even the talk. That was just what my life was like before <laughs> the first two stories. So, so if you want to pray for something tonight, pray for a little humility. Don't have a car accident. Pray for a divine appointment. You never know what God's going to do. Um, tonight, I want to start to tell you a little bit about myself. So um, my name is Karen Reynolds. I am the president of Dirty Vagabond Ministries. Has anybody heard of Dirty Vagabond Ministries? One person. Awesome. Great. Um, and so being the president of a nonprofit means absolutely nothing. It just means you do everything, okay, and that you're responsible for raising the budget, okay. So plus doing everything else. It's not, it, uh, so it's kind of funny when I say I'm the president of something, you know, it's not as glamorous, but it's a gift to be there. Um, I want to tell you, I had a conversion to Jesus Christ when I was 16 years old. I went to a Young Life camp. You guys know Young Life, Protestant organization. I was Catholic. Um, but what happened was uh, this really cute boy asked me when I was 16 years old if I wanted to go to this camp. And uh, I said, are you going to the camp? And he said, yes. I said, do I get to spend the whole week with you? He said, yes. I said, I'm there. <laughs> so uh, when I finally started doing youth ministry and people would say to me all the time, like, those kids, they don't come for the right reasons. I was like, I don't care why they come. I didn't go to camp for the right reason. You know, like, like Jesus needs us to show up with the right intention all of the time. He uses all things, you know. And that camp really did change my life. It was kind of like everything that I learned growing up Catholic and heard the gospel message, and that's where I really made a decision for Jesus in my life. So I went off to acting school for college and uh, spent two years there, decided that wasn't for me, didn't really know what I wanted to do, and I started volunteering with a youth group at my church. And uh, my boss, I, I need to go thank him someday. He would never let me off on the nights we had youth group. And I found myself, like, in my heart, really missing the kids that I was working with. And then one day on the way to work, I was like, oh! <gasps> oh my gosh, this is what I'm supposed to do with my life. You know, like I'm supposed to go into youth ministry. And I remember that night I went home and I told my mom and I like started crying. I was like, I'm supposed to be a youth minister. She's like, why are you crying? I was like, I don't want to spend the rest of my life with high school kids. <laughs> you know, like I was like, you know, I want to be this actress and fam now high school kids, you know, like everybody, do you want to go back to high school? Anyone, anyone, anyone? No, no, I've spent my whole life in high schools, right? So, so, um, but I can't imagine, like, when I said yes to God, like, my life has been 
so much more than what in my minute mind or even in my heart what I could ever imagine that it could be. I've lived uh, overseas. I've lived in lots of different states and uh, had the chance to never made any money. I've had the chance to travel the world and talk to thousands and thousands of high school kids about God's love for them. So that's a little bit about my life. Um, but I want to talk to you tonight is about the call to evangelization and then specifically what it looks like to evangelize in the inner city or specifically with the poor, because that's what Dirty Vagabond Ministries does. So, as Catholics, who knows what the Great Commission is? Ooh, go ahead. I'm excited. Good job. Give him a round of applause. That's awesome. That's great. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know that, uh, you know, I speak a lot on evangelization. And the thing is, like, the last thing that Jesus tells us to do in the book of Matthew is to go make disciples. That's what he says. You know, he says, go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he says, lo, I'll be with you always. There's one thing I want you to understand about that verse. He says, go make disciples. He doesn't say, like, hey, if you feel like it as a Catholic, maybe you should tell other people about me you know does he say that is that what the scripture says no he doesn't say that he says like hey he says go and do it he said go do it it's a command just like the 10 commandments the uh, the call to evangelization the call that jesus gives us it's a command but what happens after the command what is the last part of that verse say at the end he says what go make disciples and what and then what's the last sentence I'll be with you always till the end of the age. Absolutely. Right. Right. So he gives us a command. And if you look at the scriptures, it's pretty amazing. When you look at the scriptures, wherever God gives a command, he gives a promise. Right? It's so amazing. Why do you think he tells us, after he tells us to go make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, why do you think he says, hey, I'll be with you? I'll be with you always. Why? Why do you think he says that? Because it's scary. That's exactly right. Because he knows. He knows it's scary, right? He knows we're going to need him, right? And he wants us to hold on to that promise, you know? He wants us to hold on to that promise. So when we talk about evangelization, the first thing we have to do is admit that God is calling us. It's not just me because it's my job or, you know, because I get paid to do it. But And it's not just when I get paid to do it, but it is on the airplane, you know? It is at my gym. It is, uh, you know, I'm always evangelizing the trainers at the gym you know like I'm always like we have the same job you just work me out physically I'm just asking you about your spiritual life right we're a whole person you can always say that you know like we're body mind soul and spirit you know and then they don't know what to say so they have to listen to me while I train I'm like you know huffing and puffing um but anyway, so you guys, that's a command that God gives us. And my thing is this, is like, I feel like so many people live pathetic Catholic Christ, Christian, Christian, Christian life because they're not living that command. You know, they're not living that command because once you start evangelizing, once you start putting yourself out there, imagine how did the disciples' lives change once they met Jesus? It got crazy, didn't it? It was like insane. They were never, ever the same again. 
And that's like the same, pro- the same like gift that God gives us, you know, like that if we truly seek after him, if we go after him with everything that we have, if we follow that command, if we believe in our hearts that he's really with us, that our lives are going to be so freaking exciting. They're going to be amazing, right? They're going to be beyond anything that you could ever imagine in your little brain. Because you know what he says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 23, he says this. He says, to him who is able to do, get this, exceedingly and abundantly more than you could even ever ask or imagine. That you and your brain could ever ask or imagine. God's done so much more with my life than I could ever ask or imagine. That's what he wants to do in all of our lives. And that starts with answering that call, that, that command that he says, go evangelize. And it is scary. It's so super scary. It's like me being on that plane going, she's a stripper. She's a stripper. How do I not offend her? What do I say to her? I don't want this to be the chance that I'm supposed to be Jesus to her. And I mess up being Jesus to her. And, you know, all those kinds of things, you know. And then all of a sudden there was this moment where it was like, oh, my gosh, I felt the Holy Spirit just come. And when somebody turns to you and says, how did, I mean, this is like, she, it was like the perfect setup. She turns to me and goes like, well, how did you know that God was real? You know, like that is crazy. That was just like so crazy and so exciting and just this great opportunity to start sharing. So you guys, that's what God calls us to. That's the command, you know, and we can only live that command if we first of all believe that Jesus loves us, right? I'm going to tell you about some little kids that are living at my house right now, but one of the little girls, her name's Taliana. Yeah, I work in the inner city, so it's spelled T-A-L-E, apostrophe U-A-N-N-A. So that is like really an easy name for me. In my youth group, I have Di-Asia, Nor-Asia, N-Asia, Asia. Asia. Uh, It took me a long time to find out, figure out their names. But um, anyway, so Tally is four years old. She's been abandoned by her parents on and off. And uh, she came to live with me. I'll tell you the circumstances. But every day I'll say, hey, Tally, I just want you to know Miss Karen loves you. She'll be like, okay. <laughs> I'll be like, oh, okay, you know. So the next day I'll be like, hey, um, Tally, uh, Miss Karen, I really, I really love you, Tally. And she'll be like, why do you say that to me? You know, <laughs> four years old. Like, why are you telling me you love me, you know? And then finally one day I said, uh, Tally, I, I want you to know I love you. And she said, I love you too, Miss Karen you know? But I thought about that after a while because I thought like, you know, sometimes in my relationship with God, God is speaking to me and he's saying what? I love you. And I'm saying like, oh, I know that. I hear that all the time. I've heard it my whole life, right? You know? And okay, thanks God, whatever, you know? But, but in order for us to become evangelists, you guys, we have to really believe it in the depths of our heart that God, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, wants to lavish us with his love. That's what he says in First John chapter 3, verse 1. You can tell I was brought up by the Protestants. Um, it says this, you know? <laughs> People are always like, how do you have the Bible? My teens think I have the whole Bible memorized, you know? I'm like, no, I don't have the whole Bible memorized. But it says this. It says that God would lavish his love upon his children. You know, that that's what he wants to do. When you think of the word lavish, what do you think of? Extravagant, right? I think like I want to be lavished with love, you know, like I, that's what he says. He wants to lavish you with love, you know, and if our hearts aren't open, if we're not receiving that love, we have to pray like, God, you know, open up my heart, you know, break it wide open that I could be receiving that love that you have so much so that that love just wants to spill out onto everyone that I come in contact with. I want to read you this um, really quick from John Paul II. This is a great quote. He says this. Patrick, I don't know what the time thing is, so just give me like five minutes, okay? Uh, He says this, 
all who believe in Christ should feel as an integral part of their faith an apostolic concern to pass on to others. It's, get this, this is so awesome. It's light. It's light. You have the light that the world is looking for in your, in our lives. That's what we have. The light uh, and joy. This must become, as it were, a hunger and thirst to make the Lord known, given the vastness of the non-Christian world. You know what I feel like our problem is, myself included, sometimes we don't believe that people are going to die and go to hell. You know, we don't believe, number one, that we have the light. You know, we don't believe that we have something that they don't have because, you know, sometimes we're just trying to make it through. Trust me, I know, I, uh, so many times, living in the inner city is so oppressive. It's, I, I'm constantly feel like I'm fighting for light, fighting for joy, fighting for hope, you know? But if we don't believe that, what, that's why people aren't Christians, right? If, they, if we were living the joy, which Mother Teresa says what? Joy is the net by which catches souls, you know? Like the joy. What if we were so joyful that people are like, why are you so joyful all the time, you know? And uh, you go like, well, I got Jesus, you know? That, that'd be great, wouldn't it? I, I need to be that way. You know, some of my teens are always like, oh, Karen, you always set all the rules. You don't let us do things, you know? I'm like, well, let's do it with a smile then. Let's do it joyfully. No, you can't beat that other kid up in my building, you know? And so joyfully get out. Come back in a month when you get your thing, you know? But, uh, but that's what God wants us, you know, that's what he wants us to do. He wants us to believe it. And, you know, it's something that I have to ask myself all the time, too. Do you believe that nothing will separate you from the love of God? You know, do you believe that he's never going to leave you and never forsake you? That's why it's so important for us to have the scripture in our heart and in our mind, you know, and take it in like he talks in Ezekiel. It's such sweetness that's honey that drips from our lips because it's the God's word. It's, it's your lover, the lover of your soul. That's what he is. The lover of your soul that every day the scripture says this, that God every day is laboring to love you. What, what do you think when you hear that labor? He's working every day just to love you. You. He's trying so hard. You know, have you ever labored? Like, you know, trust me, I labor every day to earn Tally's love. I'm like, you want a scooter? Let's go buy a scooter. I'm like the biggest person in the world. You want cereal for breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Here you go. Have cereal, you know? Um, you know, whatever, laboring, trying to get her to just like open her heart to receive love because it's been so closed, so hurt, you know? And that's what God does for us. He comes in with that light and he shines that light on us. And through that light, we can give light to the rest of the world. You know, there's a scripture that says this. He who has Christ has life. He who does not have Christ does not have life. Do you believe that? Because I think sometimes if I believed that, I would be shouting his name from the rooftops, you know, because I feel like most of the world is the walking dead, you know, that people are just walking around half alive, half dead, searching for things, right? Trying to find something, that, you know, the next extreme thing that they can do to bring them life, right? Isn't that what they're trying to do? Like, we have extreme everything, right? You know, every, we got, we got Red Bull, we got extreme Red Bull, you know, like, you know, we're going to do, I'm going to jump out of a plane. Well, I'm going to jump out of a plane with no parachute and then right before the ground, I'll pull it down or something, you know, like all those things. Why do people do that? What are they searching for? Something to make them feel alive, right? 
something to make them feel alive. And we have that answer, you guys. That's what we have in our lives. And that's what God desires for you to really experience his love so that you can give it to others. And so with that in my heart and mind, my whole fear when I became a Christian was that my life would somehow be boring. (laughs) Yeah, you can relate. Oh, you go to church all the time. You love Jesus. You're boring, you know? Um, you know, or, or that I wouldn't make a difference in anybody's life. You know, I wouldn't, my life wouldn't count for anything. Everybody wants your life to count for something, right? You know, and my life has been not boring at all. So 10 years ago, I get a phone call from my friend, Bob Lesnowski, AKA the former Righteous B rapper, if you know him. And, uh, we had both been working in inner city ministry in different times. And trust me, I am a white upper middle class girl, okay? Did not grow up in the inner city. Actually got asked to go someplace and interview for a job doing ministry. Didn't even realize it was the inner city until after I moved there. Then I was like, oh, this is kind of like the inner city. You know, this is like, this is kind of, my dad came to visit me once when I moved there. He said, I worked my whole life, so you never had to live here, and now you chose to. I'm not coming back, (laughs) you know, which I felt bad for him. He was uh, super supportive, but um, so him and I, Bob and I had worked together in ministry for a long time, and and in the inner city, he said, I want to start a nonprofit just to reach inner city kids, just to reach those that are lost, forgotten, that nobody has cared about, and I was like, I'm in. You know, I'm in all the way. And at the time, I couldn't. He chose Steubenville, Ohio, because it's kind of funny. But he was traveling as a rapper back then. He wanted to be close to family. His wife's family was close. And we knew Steubenville. Has anybody ever been there? Yeah, a couple people, a few people. How would you describe it? (laughs) It's okay. What? The whole state. You better not say that to Ohioans. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Yeah. Anyone else thoughts on how you describe it? Steubenville. <laughs> Any place? Yeah. Man, if you're from California, it is definitely the armpit of the, uh, the world. Yeah. It really, it's just a steel town that sits on the river that guess what? All the jobs left. And so what it is now is a bunch of poor people, except for the university that sits up on the hill that a Franciscan university that employs a lot of people, you know, it really is a sad place. And, uh, so he chose that because he knew that there was a need there. So 10 years ago, we started Dirty Vagabond Ministries. Um, at the time, I wasn't able to get to move there. I had already made a commitment here in California. Too bad, huh? I had to stay here eight whole years, you know? But really, to be honest with you, it took eight years for God to prepare me to go back to the inner city. That's what it was. It was eight years of God working in my heart, changing me, moving me to get me to a place uh, where, he could, uh, where he could use me. And so... I just want to share with you guys a little bit about it. Uh, First of all, I want you um, to start praying because I feel like in this room, God's calling some of you to the inner city. And I know everybody's going like, not me, not me. Don't call me. Please don't call me. You know? (laughs) Yeah, I can see it already. You guys are like, not me. Um, uh, But I want you you to know one thing that in my two years that I've been back that I'm, uh, I'm really sad because, oh, bye, sweetie. Thank you. Me and I, me and I go way back to when she was born. <laughs> the whole six years, <laughs> she lived behind me <laughs> when we, when Patrick and I, we lived, they lived behind me. Um, so I want you to, I want you to understand, like, 
when I, when I, so Dirty Vagabond, we have mission sites, okay? So we're missionaries that go into the inner city, and we send missionaries two at a time, one girl and one guy, and we take a vow of poverty, and we go and live amongst the poor. And so we live with them where they are, except for I make a little bit too much money, because when I first moved back, the kids are like, just move into the projects with us. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can't move into the projects, Lord, you know? Like, but if you want me to move into the projects, I'll move into the projects, but I make too much money to live in the projects. So, which isn't much money. So, um, but anyway, so what they do is they, all of our missionaries take a a vow to live in, in, uh, solidarity with the poor. So we send two missionaries into cities and what we do is we just hit the streets and we try to meet kids and we try to start to develop relationships with them. And then we tell them about God's love for them. In the past 10 years, we've welcomed 70 high school kids and some parents into the Catholic church in Steubenville, um, this year you know, we're in Greenville, North Carolina. We brought four teens and one mother into the Catholic Church, and uh, we've been in New York at different times. We're not there now. We're in Wichita, Kansas, and um, we're in Pittsburgh. We're opening up two new places this fall. So um, God keeps multiplying and using it. But what I want to talk to you about is what does it take to um, be a missionary to the poor, and how is that different in evangelization, you know? And so I was thinking about that. I was like, what does it take to be a missionary to the poor? And this is what it takes. It takes your whole entire life. You know, Paul says in First Thessalonians 2.8, he says, um, I came to you not only with the gospel, but with my absolute very life. You know, that's what he says. He doesn't come to them just and say like, oh, I want to tell you about Jesus. He brings all of himself with them and he lays it out for them. Like, I'm giving you myself. I'm giving you Jesus, but I'm giving you myself, you know. And so this wasn't more clear to me than when I had this encounter. Uh, I was on a trip down to North Carolina visiting our missionaries. I get a phone call. A girl that I had been spending a lot of time with, Asia, she was shot. So they shot 12 rounds into her house. And uh, there were a lot of people there, and thank God, you know, she was the only one shot, and she was shot in the, it went in one foot and out the other, okay? So I flew back up, her mom picks me up at the, uh, my missionary has her mom in the van, they pick me up, we go up to the hospital, and, uh, you know, we're waiting, and I go in, and I see her, and, um, you know, the nurse is saying, (laughs) the nurse is saying to Asia's mom, she's saying, like, you know, you're going to have to change these gunshot wounds every day. You know, you're going to have to like, you know, bandage them and rebandage them. And her mom looks at me and just goes, oh, Karen, I can't do that. You're, you're going to have to come over every day and change the gunshot wounds. I was like, uh, okay, okay, okay. I'm, I'm in it. I'm in it, you know. And uh, so, you know, a couple days later, I went over to change the gunshot wounds. And on the way, uh, Asia said, we pick me up some peppermint ice cream, which I later found out after looking for a half hour for peppermint ice cream, she meant mint chocolate chip. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, why did you just say mint chocolate chip? I'm like looking all over the store for it. I'm like peppermint. Who has peppermint ice cream? Anyway, I pull up to the house. Okay. It's in the projects and I'm knocking on the door. I'm literally knocking on the door right over there. See over there about that far. I hear pop, pop, pop. Okay. Okay. I'm now really frantically knocking on the door because what happened was I hear her brother, younger brother come running over going, Michael's been shot. That's her older brother. That's who they wanted to shoot in the first place. And so I'm standing at the front of her house. Now I'm thinking like, guess what? Are they going to drive the car around and do what? shoot at the house again and I'm standing out there and nobody's opening the door you know meanwhile everybody else in the projects when they hear gunshots which I don't understand this come outside 
It, I was like, I was like, I'm like, what are these people doing? There were gunshots, you know. Everybody comes outside to see what's happening, and so, you know, thank God they opened the door right away, and I'm like falling in the door, going like, okay, everybody get down, everybody get down, you know. And they're like, call 911. You can already hear the sirens and um, stuff. And her brother was he he lived, but you know, it's uh, it's all gang retaliation. He shot someone else. He's in jail for uh, three and a half years, you know, um, but that experience right there really made me have to ask myself something, you know, like, are you, you're in it. You know, I told my sister, she's like, I was like, Oh, I was outside this house. And then this gunshot happened. She's like crying. She's like, you're going to die. You can't go back there. You can't go back there. You know, but I had to ask myself something, you know, like, am I really in it to win this family to Jesus Christ? Right. You know, because nobody else is. Do you guys realize that? Like, I, I hang out in the projects, and my missionaries, we're in the projects, we're in people's houses, we're stepping in the gap for kids, and guess what? Nobody else is there. It's all of a sudden like the church has just forgotten that there's an inner city. The church has forgotten that there's people who are dying to know Jesus, that sa- Satan already thinks he's won, and guess what? He has, if we don't do anything about it, right? If we don't do anything about it, he's already won them. And, uh, like, that's why when the scripture says, like, Paul said, you know, like, think about what were the apostles' lives like after the, in the book of Acts. Have you guys read the book of Acts? We're reading it in church right now. What were their lives like? I think they got thrown in jail a few times, right? Yeah. Paul was shipwrecked, like, four times, if you don't know that in the scriptures. He got beat to a pulp within an inch of death, you know? They, they ended, but when they did all of that, you guys, they also got to see and experience What? The glory of God. They got to see miracles every single day. I've gotten to see, I get to see miracles every single day. I was having uh, dinner the other night with some of my friends up in Ventura, you know, and, um, and they are awesome people and they support my mission. They support everything that I do. But I could tell as I was talking to them about stories, they were feeling sorry for me. And I looked at them and uh, I, I, they're still my friends after I said this, but I looked at them and I said, don't feel sorry for me. I said, I feel sorry for you. I know. See, you're saying that too. They are my good friends. But I said this for for a reason. I said, because you know what? Like, um, because I get to see and experience things that people only get to see and experience, you know, when you're really putting yourself out there. And that doesn't mean that you have to go work in the inner city. I said, I said to my friend next to me, you need to start evangelizing your tennis partners. You play every single day, right? And you need to start evangelizing the mothers at your school. And you need to start, you see what I'm saying? Like you need to go and share the gospel. That's what God's called us to. And so in the inner city, you've got to really, it's like, really like, who am I following? What am I doing? Am I willing to lay my life down for the sake of Jesus Christ? Because I said that day, I said, I really don't want to die on the streets of Steubenville. There's like nothing heroic about that. And trust me, when I say that, I don't, they're like, well, you'd be a martyr. I was like, I know, but that's not like really exciting, you know? Um, yeah, I don't really, <laughs> maybe I'd have a better chance again to have it. But still, um, <laughs> you know, I don't desire to die that way. But then I thought about it and I was like, well, everybody's going to die, right? You know, what, what does he say in Braveheart? Everybody dies, but not everybody really lives, right? Everybody dies, not everybody really lives, you know? Like, I experience the glory of God. I experience what it's like, you know? Um, It's really uh, important as we evangelize the poor, that we evangelize the lost. Patrick, can you show these pictures real quick? I want to tell you two more stories, and I'll be finished. 
um, I do have great opportunities to evangelize that family since that girl was shot. You know, we provide for her family, all kinds of different things, and uh, got to know her family. That same family has threatened my life at different times. But then guess what? Two days later, I'm their best friend, you know? And uh, one time when they were threatening my life, I was like, well, I live in an all-brick house. You know, that's kind of good, because if they're going to shoot into it, they're going to hit brick. I just got to not sit in front of the windows for a couple days. And I know that sounds crazy, but you have to, like, think that way when you work in the inner city. Um, And you have to also pray like God surrounds you and protects you and is with you. So one day I go to the inner city and... um, pull up to that same apartment and the mom asked me to take her to the grocery store there's a lot of things when you start working in the inner city mother Teresa she says this um that uh she said that when she they said this priest was talking about when mother Teresa would come back from another country you know people would always be like mother what was it like what did you experience how were the people and she would always say really good things about it you know and they always just wanted to hear some like juicy stuff you know like they didn't treat you well what they didn't treat mother Teresa well you know like when you'd like to been there when mother Teresa met like Bill Clinton or you know someone like that and or when remember when she spoke at the United Nations that speech all about abort man it would have been great to be and um she said this to them she said I find it far better to excuse rather than to accuse because when I'm busy judging I do not have time for loving and uh and that has just become my mantra because you know growing up in uh for me in in upper middle class white America there was a lot of judging you know and all the time with people when I'm with them I have to excuse rather than to accuse because you know what I don't know what it's like to be a drug addict I don't know what it's like to watch somebody shot almost every single one of our teens have faced death at a young age a grandparent a cousin a brother an uncle somebody's been shot so many of them the drug epidemic whatever you think about the inner city it is far worse than you can imagine there are no fathers they have I'll have five or six kids come in they all have the same father some of them are the same age it is really uh, suicide and talking about suicide and dying is absolutely something that we have to deal with every single day. We have the suicide prevention people over, you know, or get trying to help a kid saying like there's hope. The inner city has is void of hope. Who is hope? Jesus, right? Jesus. So if Jesus is welling up inside of us, that hope is what we get to bring, right? Sorry, I told you two stories and I'd be done. So here's the story. I go to the inner city. I go to take this mom to the grocery store. And she always says things like this. I'll tell you, this mom would be a great negotiator, I told her. I tell her all the time, you really need to be the mayor of this city. You know, like seriously, you know everybody. You know how to get people to do things. You should be the mayor. So um, anyway, she says, Karen, uh, come on in. She goes, I need your help with something. And I'm like, oh, okay. She probably wants to borrow some money for the grocery store. It gets to be the end of the month. Nobody has any money. Nobody has any groceries. They want to borrow money. And um, she says, Karen, I need you to take these two kids. I'm like, well, well, what two kids? You know, she's like, well, my daughter, my oldest daughter, who is a heroin addict. And I was like, I've known that. I've been praying for her daughter. She goes, and she has three kids, but she has a four-year-old and a one-year-old. And the the grandmother's like, I can't do babies. She's like, I can't do them. And uh, you always say, bring your babies or bring your kids to me. So here I am. My daughter's going to give you her kids. And I'm like going, 
oh, uh, okay, all right, I, I guess so, you know, and, uh, and this is like, are we really truly Christians, right? Are we really living the gospel? Are we really pro-life? I know what you're thinking. I look at you guys, you're going like, she is insane. I am, trust me, I am by far crazy. I am, I'm in crazy, because wait till you hear the rest of the story. So the daughter who's a heroin addict sits down, and literally, I asked her if I could tell the story, okay? She literally sits down with a piece of paper and writes, I give custody of my children over to Karen Reynolds. That's what she writes. And, and I said to her, hey, why don't you come with me up to my house? We could take the kids up there. I'm talking to a heroin addict. At the time, I'm not really thinking that she's a heroin addict, you know. And uh, she writes down that. I said, why don't you go with me to take the kids up? She goes, no, my ride's coming. I got to go. So she shoves the four-year-old. Thank God I had someone with me because I had no car seat, nothing. You know, so she shoves one-year-old in the, in the car, and the four-year-old starts crying, and she shuts the door and said, shut up, you'll be fine. You know, she gives me a diaper bag with two diapers in it. I don't, I don't have any children. You know, I have this great new house. It's beautiful. God gave me, you know, whatever. So all of a sudden I have two children. Okay. One year old and four year old. I drive to Walmart, spend like 200 bucks on my credit card, buying everything, texting people. I need a car seat. You know, like who's coming through, you know, like who, you know, and then I'm like, dang it, we are going to take these children. And it's not just me. It's going to be this whole community. Because if we as Catholics say we are pro-life, then when somebody gives us our children, guess what we got to do? We got to take them. You know, we got to take them because guess what? This heroin addict, she's not going to put her kids in the system. Why not? Because she's not going to get them back, right? So she's not going to go into rehab unless somebody takes her children. So I took her children, you know? I told my priest, he's like, so you're like doing foster care? And I was like, no, no, I'm not a foster parent, not a foster care. I could tell he was like, oh, oh, you know? So I called my lawyer that day and I was like, I was like, dude, you got to write me like a power of attorney or something, you know, like, so I got power of attorney of these kids, which is a whole nother story how that happened. Cause it, nobody in the inner city has an ID. You don't have to have ID to buy drugs, you know, or to sell your food stamps or to any of those things, you know, they don't drive people don't very few people drive, you know? So anyway, um, so I take her kids and uh, it takes me a month. Uh, prayer after prayer after prayer to get her into rehab. Finally, she goes into detox. I pick her up. I'm not going to rehab. I was like, you got to go to rehab. I was like, I cannot keep your kids. I keep, they think I want the kids, you know? Like, I was like, I would have adopted it a lot younger if I wanted kids, okay? I mean, I, I'm like sleep deprived now from having a one-year-old and all three of us have to sleep in one bed because the little girl has such attachment, you know? She's got abandonment issues, all these things. I'm like, you got to go. And I, so she's like screaming at me, swearing, take me to my boyfriend I was like let's get your boyfriend on the phone you know just get in the car you know and I just drive her to rehab you know 45 minutes away I just drive her there she's like I need cigarettes I was like no problem we'll stop and get cigarettes I was like what kind do you smoke I'll buy a whole carton you know little did I know that it's like $75 for a carton of cigarettes I was like man those are expensive I don't know how people afford to smoke you know so anyway these are my children that uh, God brought into my life so Patrick's going to show you a little pictures of them. Their names are Taliana and Brandon. Maybe we'll see. Oh, so um, I know. So this is when I first got them on the left. And so he's one and a half and she's four. She did not lose her front teeth. Her teeth are all rotted. 
She's never seen a dentist. You know, she's got rotted teeth throughout her whole mouth. I'm working on it. And I know she looks super sweet. She's not. She's getting me to heaven. Okay. Like the time out step her, you know, like we, we spent a lot of time, but she is super beautiful. I did not fix her hair. Okay. Can't do it. Tried it. It looks awful. I'm the worst. I have to take her somewhere to do it. She screams, but he, he is the love of my, I've waited my whole life for him. He's the love of my life. He's pure joy. He wakes up in the morning and just looks at me and smiles, you know, he really is just pure, pure joy. And this was at Easter, you know. Yeah, so really super, super sweet. Is that the last one? Oh, oh, and then this video. I, I asked the girl, I have a, teen, a college student, Liz Master, to take this video because he has the best laugh ever, so I wanted to share it. She just took this in the car. It's not a great one, but see if we can play it. You need sound, huh? Okay. I'll tell you, okay, you got it? I'll tell you the rest of the story really quick. The mother came out of rehab after six weeks and uh, is also living with me now. So now I have, I know I have the heroin recovering here. You ready? Oh, that's good. He sings. <laughs> um, he, so now in my house, I have a recovering heroin addict, her two children, and she's five and a half weeks pregnant. So we're going to have a baby at, at Christmas time. So pray for me because I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, and, uh, but I don't want her to think one, th- I don't, uh, yep, go ahead. Oh, he's on top of it. I can't remember. That's okay. Don't worry. Um, I, I don't want her to think about abortion. So when she told me she was pregnant, I was like, that's awesome. And in my mind, I'm going like, oh gosh, Lord, this is, this is the third baby daddy. He's definitely, none of them pay anything, you know, like this is crazy. And, uh, and then, um, she texted me while I was here. She's like, I went to the doctor. I'm five and a half weeks. We're going to have a Christmas baby. And I was like, oh, what a gift. What a gift, you know? And in my mind, I'm going like, Lord, you got to, you know, change my heart, change my heart, you know? Because it's a life, right? And that life is God's. You know, whether I, I whisper in Brandon's ear every day, I say, Brandon, God has a plan for your life. You, you will never be on the streets. I will, I will protect you. I will give my life for you. And every day I make Tally stand in the mirror and I make her say, she won't always do it. I, my name is Talliana Young. I'm smart. I'm beautiful. And I'm a child of God. And they love going to church with me. You know, well, he's one and a half, but um, <laughs> so we're in the back a lot. But she loves going to mass. You know, she, she's always doing like this. You know, like trying to get like the whole sign of the cross thing on, um, on, you ready? Okay. Okay. Where's Where's Where did Where go? Where is he? He is so fun. I miss him a lot, so. Um, so yeah, so on Good Friday, Tally, I said, Tally, today's Good Friday. Jesus died on the cross. She goes, yes, he died on the cross in your room. And I was like, what? (laughs) And she's like, yes, he died on the cross in your room because in my room is a crucifix, you know? (laughs) So I had to explain to her that Jesus didn't die on the cross in my room, you know? Um, yeah, so they really are, uh, just pure joy. Um, you know, I just want to end with this. Working in the inner city is, 
uh, I tell my missionaries, like, you're, you're on the front lines of the battlefield and you're going after the people that Satan has thought he's already won. And uh, two weeks ago in Steubenville, we had uh, three boys shot and one of them died. And two of them, uh, I didn't know him very well. He just came into the city to move in with his dad. And the other two are kids that hang out with us all the time. And uh, I, went, I went to the funeral, and it, it just it wrecked me, you know. Um, but it also, it was like, you know, when it says, like, things, bad things, do the opposite, you know. Like, it's supposed to wreck you. It's supposed to make you feel discouraged, right? Like, why do we do what we do? One time we had the cops twice at our building in one night because of a fight and something else. And the cop just looks at me at the end of the night, and he says, why do you do this? You know, we have this uh, center downtown where kids hang out, and we were doing an outreach night. He's like, why do you even do this? Why do you do this? And I said, because you know that group of kids that just got in that van? I said, nobody cares about them. I said, no, you, were, you weren't even asking that kid who his parent was. You were asking him who his guardian is. Those kids all live in the same area, the same block, the same couple houses. Nobody cares. If we as Christians don't care, if we don't show up, guess what? They're going to end up dead. And they have no hope. You know, when I say to inner city boys, like, what do you want to do? You got to have hope. You know, they're like, well, I just don't want to die. You know, I don't want to die and I don't want to go to jail. You know, that's the, that's what they're working towards. Or I just want to get some kind of job. Right. And I'm always like, God has something so much more. So I went to this funeral and all these boys were there and, um, they, uh, at one point they, uh, they're from rival gangs and they looked at us and they're like, why are you guys here? Why are you guys even here? And we're like, because we love you. Well, we don't want you here. I was like, I don't care. We're going to come anyway. You know, we're going to be here anyway, and we're going to be here for you when you don't want us to be here for you. Because guess what? You don't even know that you need us. You don't even know that you need Jesus, right? But you do because Jesus is your only hope. That's all that you have. And so, you know, we stood there, and uh, after the funeral, I went home, and I just grabbed that baby, and I just promised him, like, you're never going to be on the streets. Never. And, um, and so... Uh, two nights later, we have an outreach night. It's our last outreach night, and those two boys who were shot show up at the night, you know? And I'm giving this call to kids. Like, some of you need to come up for prayer tonight. You know, you really need Jesus in your life. And so the kid who was shot in the elbow, um, you know, the head of the gang, he gets up out of his seat, you know, and he comes up to the front, you know, and he says, I need Jesus. Help me, please. I need Jesus in my life, or I know I'm not going to live. I have so much anger, so much hurt, you know, nobody, I don't have parents, you know, nobody cares. Please show me who Jesus is. And that's what we need to be doing, you guys. And it's not, you know, it's, it, for us, our call is the inner city, you know, and, and I'm going to write a book someday because I always have great book titles. I never write them. But um, this one is to the white American church called It's Not Okay. It's not okay that we've abandoned the inner cities. It's, it's not okay that we're so attached to our life that we won't give our lives for the sake of someone else's because it's only when you lose your life that you what? Receive it, right? Gain it, right? It's only when you lay down your life for the gospel that you truly start living. So, so what is your life? What, what, it, what is God calling you to? What is your life? Are you really truly living? You know, are you experiencing the joy and the excitement and the adrenaline and the craziness and everything of being a true disciple of Jesus? I don't think the disciples were ever bored. You know, I even, you know, like if you know, I think when Jesus died, that little in between time, you know, they went back to fishing. Right. Because they're like, what do we do now? 
I don't know. Let's go fish. That's what we know, right? But I don't think that they were ever bored. And when the Holy Spirit came, their whole world turned upside down. I want to end with this quote. You have it, Patrick? It says this, Do not be dismayed by the brokenness of the world. All things break and all things can be mended. Not with time, as they say, but with intention. So go. Love intentionally, extravagantly, unconditionally. The broken world awaits in darkness for the light that is in you. And that is Christ. That is Christ. So my challenge to you is go.